Hello and welcome to this episode of the Coaching Podcast from British Canoeing Awarding Body. Hi, welcome everyone. My name is Lee Pooley. I'm the Director of Coaching and Qualifications at British Canoeing and you're listening to the British Canoeing Awarding Body Coaching Podcast. As you know, we've been focusing on what's in your buoyancy aid and what's in your craft. And today we are joined by Lindsay McPhee. So hi, Lindsay. Hi, everyone. So, Lindsay, first of all, fantastic that you're here because uh, you haven't done a podcast with us before. So I'm really pleased that you said yes to us. But what would be great for the listeners, can you give a bit of a background to yourself, please? Yeah, so so I'm Lindsay. Um, I run my own coaching company, so I run LM Coaching. Kind of worked in the commercial side of things for about four years now but prior to that I worked well I volunteered in, in my local canoe club um because I wasn't aware that we actually got paid to do this thing so yeah I did lots and lots of years volunteering in the club and building up my qualifications just through that club set let's say and four years ago I came into it in that commercial capacity so delivering all things from canoe sea kayak uh white water stuff just a real mix across the board everything yeah for British canoe and qualifications to to basic skills courses to, to confidence building and kind of really targeting that market of female paddlers and female participation in the water so yeah that's that's pretty much me and uh, where did your um paddling originate from you you'd say about a local club um so where did it originate so probably like most people in the world it was uh, in primary school our end of primary school kind of trip we went to an outdoor center um, and we done rafted canoeing and off we went and they set a few little challenges and after that then i I was like, I want to do a little bit more of this. But growing up in Northern Ireland, it was quite a, quite an odd thing. People don't really do paddle sports. It wasn't there wasn't a lot going on with that kind of stuff. So through lots of trial and error, I found the Sea Cadets. I couldn't join until I was twelve, so I had to sit for two more years uh, until I could join the Cadets. So yeah, it all kicked off in Cadets. Did a couple of years with them, um, and we attended the local or sorry the national regatta in London. So we came across one September weekend and off the back of that, I got picked up by Talent Scout. So we went down the, the K1 racing route. So I became a marathon paddle. That was all I knew for quite a long time. Went through the first few stages as a, of the Girls for Gold programme. Mm-hmm. And that finished very suddenly with, yeah, two shoulder injuries. So yeah, that kind of, that's where it started. Um, and then after that, I took a few years out just to recover. And then the only way to come back was to be a little bit more chilled in the, the coaching and instructing world. And that's where I then discovered there was a club at that stage. And uh, no longer in Northern Ireland. So where, where are you based now? Uh, so I'm now based in South Devon. I've done a little tour of the, the South Coast. So I started in Dorset and moved my way along the coastline and, yeah, have now settled quite nicely in, in South Devon. Brilliant. So, Lindsay, you, you alluded to some of your paddling. You talked about, you know, canoeing and white water and sea. And, and today what we're interested in is, is your sea kayaking background because... In a minute, we'll explore into your buoyancy aid and into your sea kayak in a minute. But yeah, what's what sort of sea kayaking do you do? Uh, so yeah, sea kayaking for me is probably probably my favourite discipline actually by far. So again, that originated back when I started paddling um, in the club. So we grew up living in the north coast of Ireland. So it was just kind of like a lot of people I've spoke to recently. It was all that A to B long distance sea kayak stuff that everybody went in and we put our heads down and we paddled 40, 50k every day. And that was sea kayaking for me. And that's all I knew for a long time. And then it slowly started to change where I'd kind of find that white water background and then realised we could find a similar experience on the sea through the rock hopping and exploring and doing those bits. So I started a journey around Ireland about seven years ago now. 
and I wanted to cover every single inch of Ireland, which I did. And that was just entering every rock and every little cove along the way. And that's where I really discovered that there was a whole lot more to sea kayak than just A to B headland, headland stuff. So yeah, that changed sea paddling for me and it changed my approach to sea paddling and, and how I kind of let other people experience that as well. Lovely. Obviously down in the south coast now, you've got a, you've got a lovely pick of where you want to go for rock hopping and surf and some even some open crossings. Yes, it's, it's a beautiful coastline down in Devon. There's, yeah, as you said, there's lots and lots of things on offer. There's the, the nice days and there's there's also the, the more funky days um, and not being too far away from the, the border of Cornwall as well. You've got that even more exciting stuff just crossing down that way. Yeah, loads of venues, lots of opportunities, lots lots of different conditions to play in. And yeah, at the minute I'm, I'm currently working on my way down the Devon coast to, to see every single inch of the Devon coast. Lovely. So let's delve into your buoyancy aid because obviously you coach, you guide, you lead on the sea. What are you carrying in your buoyancy aid when you're when you're leading? So my buoyancy kind of gets set up in different ways depending on what I'm up to. I am a firm believer of not having too much kit in it because I do know how restrictive it is for getting in and out of boats. But what I always make sure is in there is some means of calling for help. So depending on where I am, so kind of the phone signal or the area or the, the boat traffic, I decide which which is most appropriate for that day. I'll definitely have at least one, if not two pieces of communication in my buoyancy aid. And then a few others will be stashed in the boat. Always carry a knife because we seem to have fisherman territory on the, the Devon coast. So it's, it's a useful piece of kit. I've got my whistle because um, I quite like it as a means for calling for help as well. It doesn't always need to be, you know, a fancy piece of technology. I carry a tape sling in my buoyancy aid. And it's one of those things that's quite notorious for the white water world. But I find it's a really useful piece of kit for getting people back into the boat using heel hooks and towing people to the side or, or retrieving boats on a, a kind of shorter tow that's longer than a, a contact tow and, and shorter than a long tow. So I do like my tape sling and I have actually transitioned it over from my, my white water kit into my sea kit. I also carry a little bit of an ouch pouch in there. So just a simple little package that I've made up with some kind of waterproof plasters and bits and pieces for easy access on the water if I need it. Compass. And the other big thing for me is snacks and my buoyancy. So sea kayak and made me very quickly realise that hangaryism was a thing. Um, <laughs> and it was only when I started sea paddling I realised that there was a, it was a problem. So I do tend to have quite a lot of snacks in my buoyancy to, to stop that becoming an issue or to stop it becoming an issue for other people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what would your snack choice be? Uh, so it used to be the old school classics thinking like chocolate was the, the meaning of life, but now it's things like nuts and raisins and that sort of trail mix stuff because we know that that's a longer lasting, slower energy. But yeah, there'll occasionally be a, a little like chocolatey snack in there just as a, a feel good kind of pick up moment. So yeah, always having something like that at hand, whether that's for me or whether it's for somebody else, it's it's just, yeah, it's good to have. And then I always have a, a little kind of journey plan in my buoyancy as well. It's just easy accessible. So wherever I'm going or wherever I'm up to, it's, it's just in there as a backup plan for weather or communications or whatever's going on. I've got, got a couple of questions really, Lindsay, if you don't mind. You talk about tape. What sort of length, what sort of length of tape are you carrying? So it's a five meter tape sling and it's got a carabiner on the end of it as well. Okay, snap or or a screw gate. It's got a screw gate on it. And then your journey plan. You you said the bit about you know comms etc. What else would what else would we find if we delved into your buoyancy? What else would be written on your journey plan? So the journey plan generally tends to have the details of my group on there as well. So any kind of medical stuff about them or their emergency contact bits. It's also got the actual plan for the day. 
say where we're proposing to go to, we're getting on at such and such place and we're following the coastline round to left or right or whatever direction we're heading in. And then it'll have a, a bit of sort of timings on there as well. So what time I expect to get back and then just the actual general forecast for the day. So it just gives it an overview um, so that if something goes wrong, then we've got an idea of where we are or somebody else knows where we're at or, or where we're planning to go. But yeah, I'd always kind of transfer the information from that to the Coast Guard every time I go out. I let them know and it's exactly the same details as I carry on my journey plan. If I change the plan, then I'll also update them and let them know. From working on the sea many years ago, yeah, the sea salt is notorious, isn't it, for wrecking your kit. Are you an avid wash your kit out every every day or are you, are you less than that? It, it depends on the kit. So we had a bit of a... I suppose it was a trial and error a number of years ago. So there was a selection of us went for the let's not bother washing kit and a selection of people went for washing their kit. And actually those of us that didn't bother, our kit lasted longer. Okay. That was only for some things. So things like carabiners and BHFs and all those things, I do rinse those down because the sea salt definitely, you know, kills that stuff off. I have got slightly better at washing some of the kit down because some of it's not as durable as it used to be. But yeah, if it's moving, transitioning from one environment to another, I've rinsed it down anyway, just from the the environmental side of it. So tell us what's in your buoyancy aid, and that's really great. What are you sort of carrying in your sea kike and where? Because obviously there's there's quite a few compartments. There's behind your seat. There's a hatch right in front of you these days. Quite a lot of sea kikes have that. So what else are you carrying and where are you carrying it in sea kike? With the stuff that I carry, it really depends what I'm up to. So if I'm going on a a journey where I leave, you know, that close proximity of a car park, then I'll take a whole lot more of it. Um, You know, if I'm just staying in a bay or staying in that surrounding area, or if I'm heading off for multiple days, there will be more kit than normal. So in a a general kind of day-to-day basis, I start on the outside of the boat. I'll have my split paddles. So they live up the front of the boat, so they're on top of the front. I'll carry my paddle float, which I don't use personally, but I do like to use it. For other people uh, it'll live on the, the back deck of the boat alongside the pump and the pump's one of those things that it brings up that conversation every time when we're constantly pulling pumps out on the water because nobody ever attaches them to their boat so i do have mine attached to my boat using the bungee that's long enough for it to, to come around and drop into the cockpit whenever i need to use it so yeah it's attached on the top i have my tow line either on my person or i've got a boat tow that connects onto the boat i use as well and I'll have my short contact to it's on the, the front deck lines. So yeah, that's kind of what's on top of the boat. I don't like a messy boat, so I, I kind of like to keep stuff tucked in. So things like maps and stuff, unless I desperately need them, if I don't know the area, they'll be tucked in the boat somewhere or tucked in my buoyancy. In the boat, I say it really depends where I'm going and what I'm doing. So I trim the boat depending on what the weather's doing. So whatever's happening in the sea if it's flat calm it really doesn't really matter where the kit is if it's a bigger day on the sea then I, I try to sort of even it out a little bit depending on where we're going on that journey any of the bits i need accessible go in the very front hatch and the reason to go in the front hatch is because the back hatch on my boat is very hard to close on the water so it goes in the front hatch just so that if we do have to access it on the water i know the hatch will definitely go back on again because i'm relying on somebody else to do that because i can't reach them so yeah in the front hatch would be kind of an extra layer in there so normally there's a there's a big kag or a big sort of poncho kag that could be accessed on the water if we need to if somebody needs a spare layer things like first aid kits repair kits all those important things all live in the front hatch um along with food drinks so i'll always say to people if something goes wrong in the front hatch you will find everything that you require also in that hatch i've got a little lone working kind of bag in there which has got my emergency plan in there if something was to go wrong with me 
or if something was to go wrong that I needed somebody else to sort of take charge of a few bits. So that's the bag that lives in the front where it's got the first aid kit, emergency clothes, all the extra communications would live in that bag, along with a plan of this is what happens if if something happens to me, basically. Spare layers, I tend to kind of have split between both. So if it's, a, if it's an over layer, it'll be in the front hatch. If it's spare layers that we'd have to land to use, I'd put them in the back hatch. In the back hatch, I'd also carry things like group shelter. If we were going out for a, a big journey, I'll stay put in there. Got a torch um, and a couple of other little bits I just put in. And then I lock all the kit in using airbags. Because it really frustrates me whenever you've got a rolly flask rolling around in your boat and it's, yeah, it's banging from side to side. So it just locks it in nicely and it also secures those hatches if, you know, if you were to have a hatch come off. And say sometimes if I carry a map, it'll either be a little laminate one that lives in my buoyancy aid, followed by the big picture one that's normally in the boat somewhere as well. So the kit will move around depending on what I'm up to. Um, say if I want to in the bay, I don't take loads and loads of kit. If I'm going on a, a one day journey, I'll take a little bit more. I, you know, when I'm going for an expat or I'm going offshore, I take even more kit. Mm. Um, and that's the days where I'd carry three or four forms of communication in the boat as well. And then in terms of, you know, you said about your split paddles, whereabouts do you put them? Do you put, do you say on the front of your boat? Yeah, so my split paddles live on the front. So they live close enough that I can reach them by reaching forward. I like to leave the back of the boat fairly clear because if I do end up out of the boat and have to climb back in again, then I've got a clean space to do so. So yeah, the, the splits live on the front where I can drag them forwards if I need to and, and get them out myself. And are they different? Because, you know, a lot of sea kayakers have actually different a set of uh, splits, you know, uh, and they alternate them. I don't you know. What, what's, your, what's your thoughts? Are they the same as you paddle or are they different? So mine are, are the same now. I used to paddle with different ones because I thought that I needed bigger blades and smaller blades to, to do different things on journeys and then realised that I was just happy with the paddle I have. Mm. Occasionally I will take a Greenland split on the days where I'm just going for a nice gentle stroll along the coast. But generally, yeah, it's exactly the same paddle as I have because if you go on any kind of expedition or any kind of multi-day trip, if paddle breaks on day one and you're stuck with a, a cheap and nasty pair of splits or something that's just not quite right, then it's it's a long trip, you know, and it's it's not comfortable. So yeah, I have transitioned to exactly the same set of paddles because I, I do enjoy paddling with them. Yeah. And then you talk about, you know, you talked about your airbags as well. I mean, sea kikes are, you know, they've got some rather large bulkheads, haven't they, in terms of, you know, areas to pack it. So they must be pretty big airbags that you're using, really. Yeah, so the ones in my boat aren't, aren't massively big um i paddle a very low volume boat so it, it doesn't take much to fill those in but they are actually just white water kayak airbags that i'd had spare from another boat so i use the one of those in the front and in the back i actually use the paddle float that i don't generally use myself so i use it in there if i need it and if i need to bring it out then i can use it but it's always trying to use kit in the sea kayak that's this multi-purpose in that way that we could yeah take it out and use it if somebody say the deck or the hatch cover is gone we could use that to, to fill the hatch if we need it so it's almost that multi-purpose use of, of the kit in the boot I've no, i haven't i've never paddled on uh on the coastline in ireland unfortunately but uh you know being down in the southwest i know that uh most of my days were either launching through surf or or landing in surf or dumping area like slapton sands so i'd imagine having kit really hankered down um is really important what you know is there anything you ensure when you operate in those sort of areas uh, just like i mentioned earlier just having a clean boat like i think whenever we come through so if that's the time when things get dislodged a little bit you know people have water bottles on their their 
deck lines and you know pumps hanging here and these bits here and normally paddle floats and stuff are floating around so i'd always kind of say to people if you're you know if you don't need immediate access to it put it away so even for myself i've now started to put my bottle in behind the seat of the sea kayak so that i can reach it to drink when i need to but I also don't lose it to the sea because um, there's already a few of mine have, have gone over the years. So it's easier to now learn and go, right, we're just going to land for a year. Let's put the kit away that we don't actually need. And it's just that prior preparation. You know, it's rather than having to go in through the surf, you know, searching for bits, you know, let's, let's be sensible about how we pack our boats and how we set our boats up. And it is coming away from having too much clutter on deck lines. You know, keep a nice clean boat because it's easier to rescue for one. And it's, it's yeah, you lose less bits when you're out there at sea. You talked earlier, you know, when we moved from buoyancy aid to your sea kayak, you talked about several tow line systems. Can we just delve into what, what do you use? Because I think you said about a short tow on the front of your boat. And then you talked about, I think it was a deck mounted and a waist mounted. Uh, it'd be good just to to get your sort of views on those and, and why you have those variations. Yeah, so something I've played with sort of over the years and, and not being the biggest paddler in the world, I always kind of find towing quite a struggle, to be honest. So the the original one I started with was like everybody, it was it was having a waist tow because that's what everybody else had. And we've all had variations of different lengths of tows and different styles. Um, so I've, I've got a waist tow, I still carry a waist tow, but I find it was quite a lot of strain on, on my back when I was towing people, especially in big seas. So I then explored the, the deck mounted tow on the boat and I just find it's such an easier way of towing somebody because the, the pressure comes through the boat itself rather than through me. So I, I've kind of made one of those myself. So I find some, some bits on a beach one day, some bits of rope and actually, yeah, it was kind of that sea paddling on the cheap experience of, of designing it and yeah, find some floats that belong to some fishermen, I guess, um, all on the beach from some waste. And, and that's how I created the, the boat mounted too. But yeah, I find it much easier on the body. Um, and if I know that I'm towing on a big sea, I'll use my boat mounted tow followed by just a tow extension, just an extra piece of line. I also carry the, the little short contact tow on the front. It's not something I use a lot of the time. And again, it's something that I've made myself. There's a few options for it, but I've just made one myself. Um, it's got a quick release little buckle on it. But it's, proved, it's proven useful for landing, not injured people, but actually landing people who are not confident enough to land through the surf. So yeah, it's more of a connecting people together to give that comfort for those nervous paddlers. And that's where I would take it out if I was working with more novice group or a group maybe where there was bigger surf that they hadn't been in surf. Uh, and that's that's how we push people in and out through the surf. So yeah, there's a, a variation of things that you can use, a variation of things that I use. Um, I'd say it really depends where I am and what I'm up to as to what tool lines that I take. I am very much for, for salvaging stuff that you find along the way to, to create things out of. Uh, and that's where mine's coming and you know what i'm what i'm guessing uh from our conversation Lindsay, is you it's not that you have a a set setup you are thinking about environment you know whether it's around the rocks the surf open crossings um but you're also thinking about the people that you're paddling with as well how much of that would actually change quite a bit of it actually you know there's Quite often the people I paddle with, I, I try and encourage them to bring a lot of their own kit. So if people have their own kit, I can obviously drop back on the amount of kit that I carry. Um, and it's something that I drive a lot is trying to get people to be as independent as they can. And if they know I'm carrying kit for them, it's very easy for people to slag off and, and not actually bring that kit themselves. So yeah, it's very much been a, 
try and encourage people to bring stuff um, and know that not everybody can afford every piece of kit, but yeah, try and encourage people to carry it. So I, I hate going on paddles where everybody's got a VHF and everybody's got paddles and there's, you know, everybody's got extras of everything because it's almost a bit of an overkill. You know, where are we going and what are we doing if we need this and want your kit? And what I like people to think about is what kit do they need for that day to keep them safe? And if they need kit beyond what we would normally carry, then they need to question why they're going out there in the first place. So it is this drive of, yes, we carry all the communications and we carry stuff, but they're not there to be used, they're just there if they need to be used. So yeah, it's not planning to go out for the, the worst day in the world ever. You know, it's, it's planning within the means of what we're actually doing. If we're only going out for a little short paddle, there's no necessity to have, you know, mega amounts of group shelters and, and all these crazy repair kits with loads of stuff in it, because it's very unlikely we're going to use that. But if we're going away from the shore and we're, we're heading off on a bit of a journey, then it's, it's being realistic to things that could happen or things you might find along the way. Yeah. So, yeah. And then uh, before we started, um, before we started the podcast, we were just catching up and you know, just talking about what you've been up to, et cetera, because we haven't seen each other for a while. But um, you were talking about, you know, sounds like you're busy, uh, you know, sea kayaking into November and, and through to through to February. And um, I was just thinking about, is there any other additional kit that you might be thinking around now the days are getting shorter and and it's getting colder yeah so is it's it's bringing people in this time of the year you have the kit as well so it's it's making sure that people are kit up and in suitable clothing i'd progress up to a dry suit probably rather than a two-piece with the shorts and the kayak that i have been running around in recently so yeah changing the kit that i actually wear starting to add in things more like compasses and well i carry my compass anyway and the head torch but it's having those more accessible than they have been over the summertime because you don't generally use them in the summer but yeah bringing those things for the latch to live in the little hatch just in front of my cockpit so that i can access them straight away if i need to or in my buoyancy yeah more of that focus of adding things like glow sticks and stuff like that in the kit none of us ever planned to come back in the dark but you know we just never knew at this time of the year so yeah it's just changing that and it's also changing the layering system as well um so what i wear below my dry suit and, and having those extra layers that i can change into if I need to, because yeah, now, now I've gone south, I've gone a little bit soft in over the last few years. <laughs> yeah, it's, I've definitely not got the same tolerance for the colds I used to have. So yeah, taking things like hats and, and pogies and stuff like that for my hands or gloves for my hands to, to wear on the shore. But if we stop to have lunch, then you can still keep that process of staying warm and, and looking after yourself. And the flasks started to come back out as well. So I was having that hot drink that I wouldn't generally carry it the rest of the year. But yeah, just those additional extras for looking at darkness, looking at kind of poor weather conditions um, and being able to stay a bit warmer and drier if you can. Lindsay, you know, we haven't done a podcast together before. And um, most people know that I'll, I'll ask a couple of random questions to just to see what's your favourite um paddling spot etc so um now you're down in the southwest what area would you say is your favorite day paddle area i think sulcum wins me over in the, the sea kayak world you know i've never had a bad day at sulcum and it's just yeah it's one of those really really stunning venues and i remember the first day that i'd ever seen it thinking i was somewhere else in the world you know the sun was shining the the sea was a, the most beautiful kind of color and it's one of those places i never tire of and I'm there probably once or twice every single week. And it gives me something different every time I go there. Um, and it's got options for kind of beginners or out to advanced. And I like that we, we've got that environment for everybody all in one place, all from the same car park. But yeah, it's, it's given some people a, a real nice progression over the years as well. I've taken people down and it's that first experience of going, oh, this is quite big. And, you know, you build them up 
and they're now paddling Sultan very comfortably in, in the bigger days. But yeah, it's got loads to explore. It's got a whole lot of history. It's got loads of stuff. And I just think it's an incredible place. And I'd say it, I just don't, yeah, I don't tire of it. And I do still look forward to, to paddling them. Yeah, well, I, I can definitely vouch for Sultan. It's one of my one of my favourite areas as well, especially with the bar, isn't it? The Sultan bar as well. And uh, as you say, you can go left or right and it's just got everything there for you, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah lovely. And what's on your hit list for in the next 12 months then for your own personal paddling? Trying to get around the Devon coastline. I would like to do Devon around Cornwall and, and up the north Devon coastline. So I do I do want to paddle a bit more for myself on the sea and, and see a few more venues other than the ones I use for work. I'm also taking a few groups back to Ireland next year because um, I'm still trying to sell what my actual most favourite place in the whole wide world's paddle is. So yeah, we're doing a couple of expeditions on the, the north and west coast of Ireland um, to allow people from the south to go and see what that actually looks like. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm working on a bit of a journey. So I've done my performance coach in white water, but I'm considering going down performance coach on sea kayak um, just to delve into that a little bit more from that seaside because it's, yeah, it's definitely where where I'm most focused and where I'm more kind of passionate about. So yeah, a little bit of a personal journey on that. There's a, a few things I would quite like to do for myself on the, the qualification side of things. But yeah, the main focus is just getting out there and exploring some of the more areas. Um, I'm hoping to get up to do the west coast of Scotland again because it's, it's been a number of years before I've done some stuff up there. So yeah, it's just getting out there and, and paddling for me. Yeah, it sounds a busy 12 months. Yeah, it will be. <laughs> it will be. Well, Lindsay, thanks very much for your time. Much appreciated. I know how busy you are and uh, taking time out to, to chat on this podcast has been fantastic. So thanks very much for your time and take care. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. Remember to review, rate and subscribe. Bye for now.